Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. The secret to catching prize-worthy fish? Fishing like a local. Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. The valuable knowledge of a local guide can turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day. Go to fishingbooker.com to discover thousands of local fishing charters from all around the world and create your perfect angling adventure with their easy-to-use online booking system. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bed 365 21-plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Winter is coming. Heavy rain, sleet, snow, and ice. Are your tires up for the challenge? In the season's worst conditions, winter tires are a game changer. They elevate traction, control, and confidence. They sell only the best, like the full line of hand-cooked tires. Go to TireRack.com slash sports. Tell them what you drive. Your tires will ship fast and free to your one of over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit Geico.com for a free rate quote. It is NFL Draft Eve, can you feel the excitement emanating across the country? Your long national nightmare of mock drafts and upside and who's going to be the superstar that emerges from this draft is all theoretically going to come to a close in just a little over 24 hours. I put up a poll question yesterday and I was intrigued to see what your answers were going to be. I gave you four options, and over 20,000 of you voted in it. Which quarterback would you take first overall in the NFL draft? Which quarterback would you take first? And I gave you four options because Twitter only allows you to have four options on the poll. I didn't include uh, Lamar Jackson. I didn't include anybody else out there that you may believe is a sleeper at the quarterback position whether it's Mason Rudolph from Oklahoma State, whether it's Riley Ferguson from Memphis. I couldn't include that many different people. So I gave you four. Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, Baker Mayfield, and Josh Allen. And pretty much two guys stood out and dominated. Sam Darnold was your overwhelming choice, somewhat. Baker Mayfield, second. These two guys were clearly a cut above everybody else, according to to the outkick army out there making their draft picks. Sam Darnold got 36% of the vote. Baker Mayfield, 32% of the vote. Then a big drop-off, Josh Rosen getting 17% of the vote, and Josh Allen coming in last among that foursome at 15%. Now, if you listened to yesterday's show, you know that I revealed 
my quarterback ranking top fives. And I'm going to re-hit those again today, and I'll probably re-hit those again tomorrow before the draft actually starts. My number one is Josh Rosen. My number two, Sam Darnold. My number three is Baker Mayfield. My number four, Josh Allen. And my number five, Lamar Jackson. And I think Josh Rosen is the most ready of all of these quarterbacks to get out and play on day one. So we are going to continue to talk about the NFL draft. We'll give you some gambling picks. Who's the favorite to be drafted number one overall? That continues to be a much-discussed topic in the offshore odd markets, uh, odds markets. And so uh, we will see what ends up transpiring as we talk NFL draft somewhat throughout this show. Giving you a roadmap for where we're headed. We're going to talk to John Campbell. He's from Odd Shark. We'll also break down the beginning of the second round in the NBA now that we have the first matchup set. And we'll get you ready for Game 7 in the NHL tonight as well as the biggest sporting event of the night tonight, the Cavs hosting the Pacers in Game 5, the winner of Game 5 in these best-of-seven series, wins about 83% of the time, I think, the most recent data. Uh, the winner of Game 5 tends to win the overall series by a pretty massive margin. So I think, frankly, this is probably for all the marbles, even though whoever wins or loses will still have one or two games that they could still win if it goes to seven. So that is a big topic as well, as well as the question, which I think still kind of looms over everything, how much does the NBA need LeBron James this year? And how much do they need him in the years ahead to be a dominant force in the league? How much does he matter as we've long compared him to Michael Jordan? If you recall, when Michael Jordan left, the NBA just went into a cataclysm went into a complete downward trench of despair. The ratings collapsed. People stopped paying attention. The reality is the NBA doesn't have as many viewers today as it did when Michael Jordan was still at the peak of his game back in 1996, 97, and 98. So how much will LeBron leaving matter, and how much does LeBron have left in his tank as we move into Game 5 of this series and we move into the next series and beyond as he prepares to see what he can do in what is, I think, his final year with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Last night, no NHL action. We've only got one NHL game left in the first round, and it is a doozy. The uh, Toronto Maple Leafs, have, Maple Leafs have fought back from a 3-1 series deficit to force a Game 7 in Boston. That game will be going on tonight as the only hockey game on the calendar. In the NBA, we had two teams advance on to the uh, second round. The Warriors, late last night, managed to uh, hold off a late surge from the Spurs and uh, win that series in five games, 4-1. to one. They will now move on and face the New Orleans Pelicans, who were a very surprising 4-0 winner over the Portland Trailblazers. So that is the first second-round matchup to be set in the NBA the Warriors going up against the Pelicans. Uh, the congratulations are in order to the Philadelphia 76ers who have been outside the realm of playoff basketball for a long time and who have been even longer outside the realm of playoff victors uh, for an even longer uh, period of time. And I got to say, you look at what the 76ers look like going forward and have to believe that they are going to become the new beast in the East alongside of, boy, the Celtics, who when everybody comes back healthy, Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward come back, 
looks like the Celtics who got their uh, third win in this series to go up 3-2 over Milwaukee are probably going to be good enough even without those weapons to advance to the second round in the Eastern Conference. I don't think they have the horses to keep up with the 76ers this year. But next year, the Celtics are going to be a revelation. They are going to be pretty fantastic. The Celtics against the Sixers, I think both those teams are going to be the best in the East, regardless of where LeBron James ends up going. Now, maybe LeBron will join the Sixers and cast his lot with Embiid and uh, and with that future franchise there with Ben Simmons and so much excitement going on just between that duo Uh, That would not necessarily surprise me given the decisions LeBron has made before if he still believes the Western Conference is where he needs to go to maximize his chances to win a couple more titles before his career is over given the fact that LeBron is going to be 34 uh, coming up this uh, this fall. But uh, Dwayne Wade also may be hanging up the sneakers. He was asked about the loss as the 76ers put down the Miami Heat 4-1 to to advance to the second round of the NBA playoffs for the first time in a very long time. Trust the process indeed. And Wade had this to say when he was asked about the 76ers and his future. I think they grew up and they learned some things from us and the way we pushed them. And it's just, you know, congratulating them, you know. And, um, you know, you want to see nothing but good things for those guys. These are the future of the NBA. You know, the NBA is in great hands with Ben and, and Joel and, um, and, those kind of, and those kind of individuals. So, you know, just talking to them about those things. That's Dwayne Wade. Do we think that it was Dwayne Wade's last game? I don't know. And also, do we think it was finally Manu Ginobili's last game? Uh, Both of those guys have had illustrious careers. Maybe Dwayne Wade wants to hang on like Manu did um, and just doesn't want to give up the fact that he loves playing in the NBA, even if he isn't an elite superstar-level player anymore. Uh, Wade, I think, has said he's not going to make any immediate decisions but he's 37 years old and obviously has had a hell of a run as a NBA superstar, and he got to finish his career, if it is over, with the Miami Heat, the franchise that uh, that he obviously represented very well for a long time and was a lot of fun to watch. Certainly Wade is one of those guys that, I think if you went back and listened to what people said about him at the NBA draft, you would never have forecast the level of success that he would end up having. Um, and uh, he didn't just win a couple of titles with LeBron. He obviously won the title beating the Mavericks, coming back from a 2-0 series deficit with Shaq years ago, which kind of put him onto the national stage. Uh, had an incredible run to the Final Four with Marquette, which uh, also for a lot of people was an eye-opening moment. But there was a lot of discussion that he was an undersized shooting guard, and uh, he developed himself into a hell of a player, into a first ballot Hall of Famer. So if Dwayne Wade is going to hang up the sneakers, uh, he had uh, a heck of a run. And uh, and frankly, he also, at the time when he uh, made his uh, return to Miami, got back to South Florida just in time for that awful uh, school shooting at Parkland. And uh, I think Wade uh, acquitted himself really well in the way that he responded to that and some of the things that he did for those kids at that school. Uh, That's honestly what I will remember, I think, the most of Dwayne Wade's final year, if it is his final year in Miami, uh, was the way he handled himself with that uh, awful situation that happened. All right, we have got an absolutely loaded show coming your way. Uh, Lots to get to. Make sure you download the podcast and subscribe, as millions of you are doing Uh, every single month. Uh, We appreciate all the support there. You can search us out on iTunes uh, at uh, OutKick 
and uh, make sure you subscribe there and you can listen to the entire show at your leisure. We're going to talk with John Campbell of Odd Shark. For those of you out there listening right now, the uh, the roadmap for the show, we'll talk to him at the bottom of the hour, of hour one. In hour two, we'll talk to Jeff Schwartz. Lots of NFL draft discussion to dive into with him. What does he think the Giants are going to do? Lots of discussion about what the Browns are going to do. But I think just about everybody out there would acknowledge that the Browns are going to take a quarterback. The biggest, I think, pick in the first round, certainly at the top of the first round, is what are the uh, what are the New York Giants going to do? Are they going to keep the, the, the pick? Are they going to trade it? What's the most likely outcome there? We will discuss uh, that with him. And then in hour three, uh, you guys always enjoy it. Jason Whitlock from Speak for Yourself on SSF, uh, uh, SFY on, on FS1 uh, will join us to, uh, to discuss his show and uh, the latest news in the world of sports and beyond. Again, that's Jason Whitlock in hour three. Uh, all that's still to come, but we're also, I'm going to put the guys on the spot. Let's talk about under-the-radar guys that you would draft. They can still be in the first round. We've talked a lot about the quarterbacks. I've given you my top five. We've talked a lot about the people at the top of the draft. Are there a couple of guys out there that they think the crew does out in L.A. and here in Nashville with me, Jason Martin, will be good? And who do I think is out there that is potentially a uh, a pro bowler uh, out there in the draft that may not be getting that much attention? I've got a guy on offense, and I've got a guy on defense for you. I'll tell you, we'll see if the crew has anybody else uh, and whether we have different guys in mind as we get you ready for the eve of the NFL draft. Also want to tell you, are you hiring, posting your position to job sites and waiting and waiting for the right people to see it? ZipRecruiter knew there was a smarter way, so they built a platform that finds the right job candidates for you. ZipRecruiter learns what you're looking for, identifies people with the right experience, and invites them to apply to your job. These invitations have revolutionized how you find your next hire. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. And ZipRecruiter doesn't stop there. They even spotlight the strongest applications you receive so you never miss a great match. The right candidates are out there. ZipRecruiter is how you find them. Businesses of all sizes trust ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Clay. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Clay. ZipRecruiter.com slash Clay. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. It's draft eve. A lot of excitement out there. More of you are interested in the NFL draft than you are the NBA playoffs or the NHL playoffs based on a poll we ran earlier this week. The majority of you would pick the NFL draft to watch over any of the top games in either of those playoffs right now. Uh, So yesterday I gave you my top five at the quarterback position. We broke down kind of the drafting of the quarterbacks in general. There are tons of people out there, and what we've done the last couple of years is we'll have our own mock draft on the day of the first round. And the way we'll do that mock draft is I will start off each of the people on the crew with a pick, and then we'll open up the phone lines and let you guys draft the rest of the first round. So that will happen tomorrow at some point in hour one, hour two, or hour three. We'll have the outkick mock draft, and then we'll see as a group how we can do in projecting and predicting who the picks are going to be. Uh, So it's not if you or the GM, it's let's try to get as many of the first-round picks right as we can 
Uh, everybody does these mock drafts, and they like to brag about how many people they got in the right spot. So we'll do our own mock draft tomorrow as part of the actual draft day. But today, I thought, let's find a few sleepers, guys who may not be getting as much attention that to you, you are convinced can turn into big-time difference makers. So I don't want a guy necessarily who's going to go in the top 10, uh, but I would do want a guy. He can be a first-rounder. He can be a second-rounder. Somebody who's still somewhat known. I'm not asking you to pull Tom Brady out of your hat. And I've got two guys for you, an offensive guy and a defensive guy, and then I'm going to go around the horn here with the crew and see if there's guys that you guys believe in will make a difference for a team. And I'm going to start on the offensive side of the ball. And he may be the first wide receiver off the board, but I don't think he's likely to go until the 20s. And I think that's because of the quarterback situation he had to play with the last two years, and it's Calvin Ridley. Uh, Alabama's incredibly talented wide receiver. If you look at his stats over the last three years, as a, as a freshman back in 2015, he had 89 catches for over 1,000 yards. He averaged nearly 12 yards a catch, and he had seven touchdowns. That's the best year he had at Alabama. His production went down uh, in year two as a sophomore, which was Jalen Hurts' first year, 72 catches, 769 yards. And then in year three, he caught even fewer balls, 63 catches, 957, 67 yards. Uh, What I love about this guy is Alabama couldn't throw the ball for either of the last two years with Jalen Hurts at quarterback. Jalen Hurts, I think, is going to end up transferring out of Alabama, even though Nick Saban is going to fight to try to keep him there uh, because ultimately he can't throw the football. And you can be a really successful quarterback in college football if you can throw you know, 15 times a game and you can run the ball and complete first downs over and over again. I think Jalen Hurts is an incredible football player. I don't think he's a great quarterback. And so I think Tua Tagovailoa is going to be the future of Alabama. And I think if Tua had been playing last year, that it's likely that Calvin Ridley would have had maybe 100 catches. I mean, I think Alabama would have spread it out and thrown all over the field. And I think Calvin Ridley would have been almost unstoppable. I love Ridley for a couple of reasons. One, I think he's in the Amari Cooper and Julio Jones, clear NFL number one wide receiver, just like those two guys are. Two, about Calvin Ridley, the guy didn't rock the boat even though he was having to play with a young quarterback who frequently missed him when he was wide open. And I think if he goes to a good team, and it looks like in the 20s is maybe where he's going to go, I think this is an example of teams being scared off by his decline in production, and the decline in production is happening not because of anything that he did, but because of the overall quarterback talent that he had to deal with in the last two years. So I love Calvin Ridley. I think he's going to be an excellent player. I think he can step in and play from day one. And uh, I think he can follow in the uh, illustrious lineage of Alabama wide receivers like a Julio Jones, like an Amari Cooper, and come in and be a difference maker almost immediately on day one. So I think pay attention to Calvin Ridley. If your team is fortunate enough to get him, I think he's a difference maker at wide receiver. The other guy. Now I have watched this guy play for several years and I... I, I really do believe that he has the potential to take an entire next step in the NFL. And I'm not going to say he's going to become J.J. Watt because that is way too much of a mantle to put on to somebody. But when I watch this guy play, at times he became unblockable. He has an unbelievable engine, and I think he can be a major difference maker, and that's Taven Bryan. He is a defensive lineman, defensive end out of the University of Florida. Has not been insanely productive, 
but has been at times capable of taking over games in the SEC. And I have watched Taven Bryan play. I love to watch his effort, his intensity, his skill set, how hard he's going to push himself is why he reminds me a little bit of a J.J. Watt. I believe his dad is a Navy SEAL and started putting this kid through Navy SEAL workouts when he was a teenager. And if you can get through these Navy SEAL workouts and show up and be as electric as he potentially can be, he has, if you look at the data, he has a lot of the same kind of numbers that J.J. Watt put up at his NFL Combine. Uh, It's just like Taven Bryan did. He's huge. He's 6'4", 291 pounds. Uh, He ran a sub-5, 40 at the Combine. Uh, He has uh, the ability to play well against the run, and at times, he can really get up the field and get after the quarterback. And I think he is a uh, just an incredible defensive lineman that's able to play on all four downs, all three downs, passing downs, running downs. Um, and so I like both of those guys. If I had to pick a guy on the offensive and the defensive side of the ball. And you know what? We may go ahead. I gave you my two. Give my guys, uh, give Jason Martin and the crew a little bit of extra time to think about who they would take on the offensive and defensive sides of the ball that may be outside the prime uh, spotlight a little bit who those guys are. But let me go ahead and bring in Eddie Garcia, find out what's shaking in the world of sports. And then on the backside of this, we'll talk with uh, with my guy, uh, John Campbell from Odd Shark. But first, uh, Eddie Garcia, what you got for us, man? Well, Clay, in the NBA playoffs, we had two teams moving on. The 76ers beat the Heat 104-91. to J.J. Redick 27 points, Joel Embiid, 19 points, 12 rebounds. Philadelphia wins that series four games to one. The Warriors also advance, eliminating the Spurs. 99-91, the final. Kevin Durant, 25 points. Klay Thompson, 24 points. Golden State wins that series four games to one. They will face the New Orleans Pelicans in round number two. Celtics beat the Bucks 92-87. Boston got 22 points and 14 rebounds from Al Horford in the win as they take a 3-2 series edge. The home team's won every game so far. In the series, in baseball, the Angels knock off the Astros 8-7 in a battle of two of the top teams in the American League. Shohei Otani got the start for L.A. He gets a no decision. He went five in a third innings, allowed four runs on six hits with seven strikeouts. This report's brought to you by True Car. Online car shopping can be confusing, but not anymore with True Price from True Car. Now you can know the exact price you'll pay for your next car, so visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. And Clay, you've been talking about the NFL draft. Well, news came out that Florida wide receiver Antonio Callaway, who was expected to be one of the first wide receivers selected, tested positive for marijuana at the Combine. Yeah, that's unfortunate because he's an incredible talent and he just can't get out of his own way. I mean, it really is. If you watched Antonio Callaway play at Florida, you thought to yourself, man, this guy can be a difference maker, not just at the college level, uh, but he got in trouble with the credit card and book-related story at Florida that felled so many of the Gators uh, last season in Jim McElwain's final year there. And, I mean, if you test positive for uh, marijuana at the Combine, you are just a moron because you know you're going to get drug tested. You know how much money it's going to cost you. And again, a lot of what NFL teams do is they, they have checklists and they're like, can I trust this guy? If I give him a couple of million dollars, is he going to show up on time? Is he going to be able to be an employee? Is he going to be a reliable guy? And when you fail a drug test at your job interview, is that the kind of person you want to hire? I don't even care if you smoke pot. I really don't at all. I, I, I just have said on this show that I think pot in many ways should be legal. But if you know you're going to get tested for a drug, 
and you know that you are going to the most important job interview of your life with everything going on at the Combine, the fact that you don't have the self-discipline to avoid smoking pot in advance of that event is a sign that, frankly, you may not be ready to be a professional and that I would definitely have, I would take take him off my board. I really would uh, until I got late into the draft and you're taking flyers on guys in the fifth, the sixth, and the seventh round. I, I just, I think it's an idiotic move. And speaking of the draft, for the best NFL draft coverage, turn into Fox Sports Radio Thursday night. Jay Glazer, Joel Klatt, Chris Spielman, Kurt Menefee, they'll all be broadcasting live from the site of the draft uh, within AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas, throughout the first round on Thursday night. Uh, that's Thursday night, Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app beginning at 8 Eastern, 5 Pacific to hear the very best NFL draft coverage on the radio during the entire first round of the NFL draft. We've got John Campbell with us now. John uh, works at uh, Odd Shark. You can check him out at Johnny Odd Shark on Twitter. Uh, John Campbell, we're talking about maybe guys in the NFL uh, that, uh, you know, some prop bets and everything else out there. I know you're following the NFL draft. Is there anything that you're looking at and saying, oh, I'd love to bet on this uh, for the NFL draft? And what can you tell us about the odds of who's going to be the overall number one pick? Well, yeah, uh, Sam Darnold is the favorite uh, right now to go number one. He's minus 240, minus 250. And I think, by and large, those odds don't sound too bad because I think we're all expecting him to go number one right now. Uh, if you want to go a little further down the list and take a flyer, Saquon Barkley is plus 380. And I really think he's the best player in the draft this year. And I've been saying all along, if you want to take a bit of a flyer, he's probably your guy. But if you take, if you look at the second pick, you can bet on who's going to be the second pick overall in the draft as well. And Saquon Barkley plus 175 to go second overall in the draft is probably my favorite prop bet this year in the NFL draft. Yeah, and and that's really we talked about this a little bit early in the show, and we've been talking about it for probably a week at least, and maybe two weeks. The Giants, to me, are the most intriguing team picking because while we may not know who the Browns are going to take at number one overall, right? I mean, there are a lot of different quarterbacks out there that are potentially in the mix. The team that we really don't know anything at all about is what the Giants are going to do. And if they take Saquon Barkley, well, that kind of opens up the draft in one way. If they take a quarterback, it opens up the draft in another way. And, you know, frankly making people believe they might take a quarterback is probably valuable for them because it increases the overall uh, amount that teams might be willing to give to make a move up to number two overall. So Saquon Barkley is the favorite right now if the Giants are drafting that pick based on what the offshores are saying. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and, and you can go even further down. And, and another one I like is that Josh Rosen to be the third pick overall at plus, one thir- uh, plus 140. Uh, I, I I think he's going to be the best NFL player out of the quarterbacks here. Uh, so I, I really like him, too, at the third pick. I think the Jets are going to take him plus 140. I know there was some talk about Baker Mayfield going there as well, but I, I really think Josh Rosen is the better pick there. Yeah, that's uh, that that's going to be interesting. If that were the top three, I, I said that Josh Rosen is at the top of my board. I think he's the most uh, ready to play. And he's got a little bit of Eli in him. So I can see if the Giants wanted to and believe that he was the guy who was going to take the baton for the future of the Giants franchise. He's like a younger Eli to me, if you were kind of trying to project what Josh Rosen can be. And some Giants fans might be like, oh my God. Well, I mean, if you could get another Eli Manning, as much criticism as Eli Manning comes in for the Giants, 
that's a sterling pick for the Giants to be able to go from one guy who won a Super Bowl to obviously they would believe that Josh Rosen, if they take him number three overall, is likely to be able to win a Super Bowl in the future. By the way, one interesting stat out there about quarterbacks being drafted in the first round and winning Super Bowls, uh, there might be five or six quarterbacks taken in the first round tomorrow. 2004, only draft that has given us multiple Super Bowl winning quarterbacks from the first round that year, Eli Manning and Ben Roethlisberger both went in the first round. I think it's an incredible stat. We've never had two quarterbacks in the first round be drafted in the same year and go on and win the Super Bowl in the modern era. So uh, that is, uh, that's a pretty good one. Again, uh, we've got Eli Manning and Ben Roethlisberger in 04. If you are a team that's drafting a quarterback, you'd love to see uh, your team uh, and maybe another team. You like those odds if you knew that there was gonna, that was going to history was going to repeat itself like 2004 uh, all over again. All right, let's talk about the uh, the NHL finals. I want to start or the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs since the second round is set there. What are these matchups telling us? We got four different series that are set to start, I believe, on Friday or, or Saturday. What do you look at out here and think there's value in? What series out there can the Caps get past? The Penguins, uh, I know we still have one series. One, well, let's start there, the Game 7. What's going to happen in Game 7 tonight? Well, I think the Bruins are going to win Game 7 here tonight. Uh, a lot of excitement for Toronto fans. They really want the Leafs to pull through here, of course. But um, home teams win at about 59% in Game 7s in NHL history. So huge advantage for home ice here. Uh, the Bruins really need to get their secondary line, second and third line going. But uh, I think they're going to pull through. They're now 9-1 to one to win the Stanley Cup as well. So so I think it's worth a shot. The team that you think is going to win tonight, go ahead and take them on a futures bet as well because they have the lowest odds to, to win uh, in the Stanley Cup as well. Uh, I think this is the year that the Caps finally beat the Penguins. The Penguins have been beating up on the Caps here for a few years now. But... I don't love the way the Penguins have been playing defense, and they're slightly favored. They're minus 115, the Penguins, to win this series. But uh, I just I love the Caps' special teams right now. I think uh, I, I just think this is going to be the year. And in terms of winning three championships in a row, I don't know that it's possible. I, I, I don't think it gets talked about enough how, how good the Penguins are historically in terms of all-time great franchises in sports because the salary cap era – is designed to make sure that this doesn't happen. And I'm not sure you can go on three runs in a row. So I do like the Capitals' value here. Nashville is a minus 140, minus 145 favorite against the Jets. That's probably where I see the best value in the Jets at plus 120, plus 125. Didn't love the way Nashville played defense uh, in in, uh, the first round here, but... I think this is going to be the best series uh, out of all in in uh, in the second round here. I think I think uh, it'll go seven games. I like the Jets to squeak it out. The go- the Golden Knights are favorites as well. They're minus one forty. I don't think the odds would be that high if they weren't such a popular bet. I think that's going to be a series, uh, good series there as well against the Sharks. Uh, breaking down the NHL, what about and let's go to the NBA uh, game five tonight between the Cavs and the Pacers. Have you been? Um, troubled by how the Cavs have looked who would you make the Eastern Conference favorites right now uh, as we move into uh, trying to get the second round set obviously the Sixers won last night to advance to the second round looks like the Celtics are in somewhat decent shape now that they're up 3-2 what out there is jumping out to you about the uh, NBA 
Yeah, I think that's a great question right now. Is, is who is the favorite in the East, and and the Raptors are uh, coming in, of course. But I, I just don't think they've looked very good at all against a Wizards team that's not very good. I like the Pacers a lot, plus six and a half tonight against the Cavs. I, I also like their series value at plus three hundred with this series tied up. I think uh, I think they have a great shot there, but I think the East is looking wide open right now. I, I, the, the Sixers might be the favorite. I, I think if we're talking about the team that looks the best right now. But uh, a few plays I do like tonight in the NBA. I like the Raptors minus seven. I think Wolves-Rockets are going to go under. The Rockets know they have to play much better defense, and they did that last game to get by the Timberwolves here. And that Jazz plus three and a half, I think that's the line tonight that a lot of people would look at and say that's a really strange line with OKC favored by three and a half. The Jazz have just looked like the far better team on the court the last couple games. With the Warriors matchup against the Pelicans in the second round now that that series matchup is set to, any reason Warriors fans should be nervous or do you make them a prohibitive favorite over the Pelicans? I, I think maybe they should be a little bit nervous. But, I, yeah, I, the odds aren't out yet. I put them like minus 500 to win that series. There's no reason why they shouldn't easily win this series. But Pelicans look really good. They covered all four games against the spread as well in the first round there. But uh, Warriors should be heavy favorites to win that series. We're talking to John Campbell. He's uh, at Johnny Oddshark on Twitter. You can find him there. Um, LeBron James and the amount of minutes he's playing. When you look at his performance on the court, do you factor in going forward the fact that he played all 82 games, the fact that he's going to have to play at least six games in the first round, 33 years old, the tread on the tires, or do you look at LeBron James and just pencil him in and say he's going to give you his incredible performance? It's really not about him. It's about everybody else. When you try to assess, for instance, what's going to happen in Game 5 between the Pacers and the Cavs tonight. Uh, he he looks timeless right now, so I, I don't really think so. I think he, he has the stamina to keep going here, and I think when the playoffs come and you've got the adrenaline and excitement, it can really carry you through. I think I think basketball versus hockey, I think hockey is a sport where you really have to handicap as the later rounds go on. How beaten up is this team? How fatigued are they and all that sort of thing? I, I, just, I think in basketball you should be able to give it your all throughout uh, until the playoffs are over. Outstanding stuff as always. We'll talk to you next week. Good luck on the bets. Thanks a lot, Clay. John Campbell, Ed Johnny Yodshark. Go follow him on Twitter there. We'll come back. We'll break down uh, a little bit more of the NFL draft. I'll also tell you about my big uh, good friend, Michael Bennett. You know, the lying, race-baiting fraud who uh, just been recently signed by the Philadelphia Eagles. He released a book. And how many people bought it? Nobody. I'll tell you the numbers when we come back on the flip side. Guess what? Woke Center it ain't a good business model if you're in the world of sports. This is Outkick the Coverage on the on Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where it's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. Hour one, rolling through. Encourage you to go download the podcast and make sure you're not missing any of this show. Hour two, we'll talk with Jeff Schwartz, break down the NFL draft. Hour three, my guy Jason Whitlock. Did you guys see ESPN yesterday covering Meek Mill's release from prison like it was a major sports story? They actually went live to, to the helicopters following him from the prison. I thought it was crazy. We'll ask uh, Jason Whitlock what he thought about that uh, and uh, that storyline in general. Um, I do think this is interesting. 
a couple of details that I got that aren't going to be public from anybody else. Um, One, the Michael Bennett book. Michael Bennett wrote a book, and I haven't talked about it very much. It's been out for a month, and it got tons of media attention. Everybody's like, oh, Michael Bennett, truth teller. Now he's with the Philadelphia Eagles, used to be with the Seattle Seahawks. It sold 3,100 copies in the first month. He is losing money hand over fist for his publisher. And it just goes to show that I think while the media in sports protected Michael Bennett over his lies surrounding the Las Vegas Police Department and his fake racism allegations, the general public did not miss that story. And so I think they punished him with this book by refusing to go buy it. And I think it speaks again to the disconnect that often happens between what Twitter likes and Twitter loves Michael Bennett because the sports media, they protected him. They didn't out him for uh, his lies surrounding the Las Vegas police. Uh, I'm one of the only people who told the truth on that story. Uh, Three minority police officers in Las Vegas, they released the video. They did absolutely nothing wrong to Michael Bennett. And then, obviously, Michael Bennett has since been charged with a felony down in Houston, and we'll see what happens with that. But the book came out amidst all this attention, and nobody read it. And I think the same thing is going to happen to Colin Kaepernick's book. And what's happening is people who are not sports fans are trying to tell sports fans what they should care about. And when those people actually hit the market, Michael Bennett, Colin Kaepernick, whatnot, their books don't sell because there's actually no interest in them. And that ties in again with what I think we're seeing happen at ESPN. They've got this new morning show that's coming out at ESPN, this get-up show. And I want to give you this data point because I think it's pretty amazing. Their show on Monday morning on main ESPN, you know, they broke up the Mike and Mike radio show. Tons of you across the country now are listening to me because they broke up that show. Thanks for trying us out. I hope you enjoy spending your morning with us. Uh, But they broke up that show and in the process also broke up SportsCenter, and they put on Michelle Beadle, Jalen Rose, and uh, Mike Greenberg on this incredibly bad morning show from an incredibly expensive New York City studio. They had 263,000 viewers on Monday morning in the middle of the NBA playoffs, in the middle of the NHL playoffs, and on the week of the draft. That's an inexcusably bad number. As if that weren't bad enough, let me give it to you context-wise. Peppa the Pig, or a.k.a. Peppa Pig, because when I say Peppa the Pig, some of you out there who have kids and you watch this show, like I do, Paw Patrol as well, um, you say, it's A-Clay. It's not Peppa the Pig. It's Peppa Pig. That show did 910,000 viewers. So head-to-head against ESPN, Nickelodeon's Peppa Pig show did 910,000 viewers, and Peppa Pig... Uh, dunked all over ESPN's new show. And they're paying, by the way, that those cast members, just those three, $15 million a year. That's Tristan Thompson-level money. That's money that basically ESPN has lit on fire and thrown into a huge pyre outside of their headquarters in Bristol. That's money they're never going to make back and utter disaster unspooling there. But I think the lesson on both fronts is be careful listening to Twitter and letting social media convince you of decisions that you should make. I would say that for you. Yeah, there's Peppa the Pig. Peppa the Pig. Maybe we should, maybe we should get that pig on this show. How much would our ratings improve if we could get Peppa on weekly? 
you know, we reach out to Nickelodeon and see if we can make that happen. Uh, 910,000 people ain't nothing to laugh at. Uh, so, uh, so that would be an incredible play there. And by the way, we terrified a lot of people uh, with that sound of the pig out of nowhere. People thought, uh, given the animal Thunderdome dangers, that somebody was coming after them. Uh, we started off the show talking about the NFL Combine. I'll go to the crew when we start hour two, find out who their sleepers are, and uh, we'll reset my top five quarterbacks if you haven't heard that yet. We'll also talk with Jeff Schwartz in uh, in hour two. He used to play for the New York Giants, and I think if you just heard us talking with John Campbell, what the Giants are going to decide to do at two is in many cases the linchpin of what's going to happen in this draft. If you pay attention to the offshore odds markets right now, they're telling you the first three picks in the NFL draft are going to be as follows. One, the Cleveland Browns are going to take Sam Darnold. Two, the the New York Giants are going to take uh, Saquon Barkley, although it's possible that they could take Josh Rosen. We'll see exactly what they end up doing at that spot with two. Three, the Jets, who obviously have traded up to three to take a quarterback, the expectation seems to be that they will take Josh Rosen. That would help to figure out what's going to happen the rest of the way through the draft. But again, to me, the Giants are the linchpin. If they step up and they take Josh Rosen at two and make the decision to go with a quarterback, then all bets are off. Who knows exactly how all this is going to shake out. I think pretty good we should feel comfortable in the top three saying, okay, the Browns are going to take somebody at quarterback at one. The uh, Certainly the Jets at three are going to take a quarterback. What's going to happen at two? We could have quarterbacks go one, two, and three, which we have not seen for a very long time. So we're breaking down all of this loaded show for you coming up again in, uh, in, segment, uh, in segment two of hour two, Jeff Schwartz. And then in hour three, we'll talk with Jason Whitlock, who always comes on and brings the heat. But I thought that was an interesting little couple of data points that you're not going to hear anywhere else. Michael Bennett's book sold only 3,100 copies in its first month. And for people out there who are like, well, how does, how does the first month matter in the world of books? It matters a great deal. I'll tell you this right now. My new book that's coming out in September, if it only sold 3,100 copies in the first, uh, in the first month, I would be curled up in the fetal position crying. And I don't curl up in the fetal position very often and cry. Uh, but that would be my reaction if uh, if we only sold three copies, uh, 3,100 copies in the first month. Almost uh, at least half of your total book sales typically happen in the first month if you are a normal book. So that book, nobody's going to buy it. Woke Center, not a good business model unless you consider getting dunked on by Peppa Pig like ESPN's new morning show is doing. Then, then maybe you consider it to be a good uh, business plan. All right, some sleepers in the NFL draft coming up next. Then Jeff Schwartz. Thanks for spending your Wednesday with us here on Outkick. I didn't know what day it was. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. For those of you waking up across the country, thanks for spending your Wednesday morning. If you heard me go to break, I got to tell you, sometimes I just have no idea what day it actually is, but it's Wednesday. I believe, uh, Wednesday morning. And late last night, we saw the Golden State Warriors advance uh, to the second round to play the Pelicans as they uh, ended the San Antonio Spurs season. Uh, disappointing San Antonio Spurs season, I think it is, to uh, to be fair. And we will find out what eventually is going to happen with Kawhi Leonard, which has been the strangest story surrounding the Spurs throughout the entirety of this spring. Now, uh, also, the Philadelphia 76ers advanced to the second round of the playoffs for the first time in what feels like forever. Uh, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and the young Philadelphia 76ers look like they might be the best team in the NBA right now in the Eastern Conference, given the fact that the NBA's Eastern Conference is wide open. There was no hockey going on last night. 
Uh, the Boston Celtics did take a 3-2 series lead. Each home game has been won by the home team uh, so far in the Celtics and uh, Bucks series there. Uh, and also we're set up for tonight's Game 5 between the Pacers and the Cavs. We'll see whether or not the uh, Pacers can bounce back from a really disappointing final four minutes in that game. It is also NFL Draft Eve. There is a Game 7 going on in the first round in hockey. Uh, We've got the Boston Bruins hosting the Toronto Maple Leafs as the Maple Leafs have surged back from a 3-1 series deficit. All of that kind of contextualizes and gets you ready for the big stories that are taking place out there. Uh, Yesterday, I gave you my top five in the NFL draft at the quarterback position. A lot of drama surrounding these quarterbacks coming down the stretch. Possibility that we will get five or six quarterbacks drafted in the first round. Um, and uh, my top five in, in that in no particular uh, in, in this exact order: Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, uh, Josh Allen, and Lamar Jackson. I've given you my logic on why I believe those five guys are the most uh, the most likely, in my opinion, to succeed based on those rankings. I also, in hour one, gave you two picks that I believed were a little bit under the radar. The wide receiver class in this year's uh, in this year's sort of uh, draft in general not getting a lot of attention, and my guy at wide receiver that I believe is going to actually perform really well is from Alabama. His name's Calvin Ridley, and he may be at the top of many draft receiving boards, but I think he would be much higher as a draft pick up where Amari Cooper and Julio Jones went if he had actually been playing with a legitimate passing quarterback as opposed to the last two years playing with Jalen Hurts. Remember. This guy has never had a big-time quarterback throwing to him. He had Jake Coker, uh, who's an okay quarterback, but only started one year at Alabama. And then now uh, he has had Jalen Hurts the past two years, and as a result, his production and yards have gone down over the last couple of years. Uh, His best year as a wide receiver was his rookie season, his freshman season at Alabama, when he caught 89 balls for over 1,000 yards and had seven touchdowns and looked like he was going to be, like I said, the next in a long line of Alabama receivers who have produced at a high level under Nick Saban, and then the passing game just fell out, fell apart. Jalen Hurts could not throw the ball down the field, and as a result, I think Calvin Ridley has suffered and fallen in the first round uh, to a degree that he should not have done so if he'd been playing with a decent big-time wide receiver like uh, many college star wide receivers get to do. So Calvin Ridley is my offensive player that I think could turn into an all-pro. My defensive player who could turn on turn into an all-pro, Taven Bryan, out of Florida. Defensive lineman, 6'4", 290 pounds, tough, love everything that he's about. Uh, think that he can be an all-down defensive end who can both rush the passer and stand up against the run. His numbers, if you look at him combine-wise, compare somewhat favorably to J.J. Watt. I'm not saying anybody's going to be the next J.J. Watt because it's a lot to put on anybody, but I think Taven Bryan could be an incredible defensive end in this draft for somebody who is lucky enough to get him. Uh, all right, I want to know who you guys think should be a uh, under-the-radar guy, and I'm going to bring in my crew and, uh, and start with them. Uh, Jason Martin, as we get here to NFL Draft Eve, offensive and defensive guy or even a couple of offensive or a couple of defensive guys that you think – in this draft, outside of the quarterback position, uh, that could make a difference or be big-time playmakers down the line? Top two wide receivers consensus are Calvin Ridley, who I love, uh, and you obviously love as well because you mentioned him, and Maryland's DJ Moore, who some experts have rated as the top receiver on the board. So I wanted to stay with the receiver, 
but I wanted to look elsewhere from those two names, and I found Christian Kirk at Texas A&M, who was a star there. His production went up every year. His work ethic, and if you read about his attitude and his preparation, is just absolutely off the charts. Went over 900, year, or 900 yards in all three years in College Station, had 26 touchdowns, and this is a big one. Six career punt return touchdowns and seven return scores overall. So he's a serious special teams threat. He's definitely the best slot receiver in this draft. Slot becoming more and more important with the intermediate passing game and the fact that a lot of guys or a lot of teams now would rather throw the ball eight yards than try to run it eight yards. He's not quite six feet tall, so that hurts him just a little bit. But he's being compared to Emmanuel Sanders. And in terms of skill set, he's being compared to Antonio Brown by a lot of folks as well. So I think if you're mentioning those guys with a guy that hasn't even stepped on an NFL field, I like what I see from Christian Kirk on the offensive side. Defensive, Josh Sweat is an edge rusher at uh, Florida State that some people have off their draft board completely because he had surgery in college on his MCL, PCL, and ACL. Some people have him in the first round. Some people have him not draftable at all. Some teams are not going to take him, and some apparently seem to be okay with him. So I have him, and I have Deron Payne at Alabama as well, a defensive tackle stud that's just waiting to happen. But the guy that I want to mention is Josh Jackson, cornerback at Iowa, led the nation this past year with eight interceptions. Unbelievably good cover corner, but unbelievable hands. He actually played wide receiver at times for Iowa as well, had 26 pass defenses, was clear by three of the next closest in college football last year, had a bad first couple of years where he was beaten out as a sophomore to even start, and then just had an insane year this past year. His passer rating against him for opposing quarterbacks this season was 36.4. He only allowed less than a 45% catch rate during the entire season. He is being called the ball hawk of this draft. Probably going to go somewhere in the 24 to 27, 28 range. But in, in just in terms of importance in a quarterback league and having somebody that could actually take it the opposite direction, I think Josh Jackson's got to keep your uh, eyes on. What about you guys out in uh, L.A.? Any people that to you are really standing out that maybe aren't getting as much attention? Because I do think given the primacy of the quarterback position, 90% of all draft talk at least has surrounded who the quarterback's going to be taken, where the quarterbacks break down. I think that's commonplace. I think that makes sense given how important the quarterbacks are and how quickly they can change or uh, or derail the direction of a franchise. But there are a lot of other guys out there as well. Who stands out to you, if anybody, Danny G? Yeah, I'll start with my offensive player. He's not listed um, as you know, even the top three as far as running back prospects go. I haven't seen anybody say he's even going to go in the second round. His his uh, backfield mate, who you know very well, Sony Michelle, is projected as the second best running back. I'm talking about Nick Chubb of Georgia. Now, on a lot of the lists, he's um, he's picked as the fifth or sixth best running back coming out of college. But you know, Clay, from watching him there, close to where you live, that he's the second all-time leading rusher in Bulldog history, only behind Herschel Walker. Almost 5,000 rush yards, 45 rushing touchdowns in four years at Georgia. And that's um, extra special because he missed over half of his sophomore season with that knee injury. He's healthy now, three years removed from that. And I really like the way he runs with authority. It was fun watching him. He kind of runs with that bent-over style, legs always churning. He reminds me of Eddie George. So I'm I'm curious to see who's going to select 
him at running back. And then for defensive player, you know, this is a guy I got to see watch in person a couple of times at USC, defensive lineman Rasheem Green. He's he's um, compared to Richard Seymour a lot. He's by far the most dominant defensive lineman in the Pac-12, first-team all-Pac-12 player. He started all the games in 2017, 12 and a half tackles for, loss, for losses, 10 sacks, almost 100 tackles in his two seasons. At USC is going to miss Rasheem Green, and whoever drafts him is getting a beast. You know, those are good guys. It just, it's, let me know if Justin Cooper wants to add anybody else to this list. Um, I'm doing a little bit of research, and I found this to be fascinating, um, on the wide receiver position in general in this year's draft. And the Wall Street Journal has a, a good article about the NFL having a wide receiver drought. And since 2015, when they had a really good draft class in 2015 uh, with, uh, let's see, sorry, 2014, when you had uh, Mike Evans with the Buccaneers, you had Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, going uh, to the uh, the Giants and then Kelvin Benjamin to the Panthers. You had three rookie receivers haul in 1,000 yards of receiving that year. I haven't heard a lot of people talk about how much of a disaster the first-round top-of-the-board wide receivers were last year and maybe that why that might have people a little bit apprehensive. But this is kind of crazy, and if you're fans of these teams, you would know this. I don't think it's gotten that much attention overall in the marketplace. There were three guys taken in the top ten at wide receiver last year in the draft. The Titans took Corey Davis, the Chargers took Mike Williams, and the Bengals took John Ross. If you run through that list of everything that happened, John Ross was virtually unnoticeable for the Cincinnati Bengals. I believe he had one catch all of last season. Mike Williams had 11 catches for 95 yards. Now, Corey Davis, they all had a little bit of injury issues, but combined, all three of those guys got 470 yards receiving, and Corey Davis had like 370 of those yards. So I don't know what the future of Corey Davis, uh, Mike Williams, and John Ross is going to be, but if you look at last year's receiving class, that's three guys who went in the top 10, The Bengals had high expectations. Certainly the Titans did. And as well, the the Chargers. All of those teams thought, we're going to bring in these guys and they're going to make a tremendous difference for Phillip Rivers, Rivers, Marcus, and for for the the Bengals' uh, offense to be able to be more explosive to get down the field with what they thought that Ross was going to be able to do. None of them produced. And the NFL is very much of a copycat league And I know there may not be great talent at the top of the board, but I also think there may be some teams that are apprehensive looking at what happened last year and saying, hey, wait a minute, did we overvalue all of the wide receivers last year, thinking that Marcus Mariota, Andy Dalton, and Phillip Rivers were all three going to get big-time playmaking wide receivers in the first round. Three guys go in the top 10. I mean, that's a pretty stunning stat for last year's productivity last year. You had three top 10 wide receivers and they combined for a grand total of 470 receiving yards last year. Wow. Uh, and this year, the expectation is that nobody at the top of the draft, uh, I gave you Calvin Ridley uh, as maybe the guy that I believe in, but he's probably not going to go until the 20s, and that in and of itself is uh, is pretty uh, is pretty fascinating. All right, we're going to bring in Jeff Schwartz next. We'll have him break down the NFL combine. He played for the Giants. What does he think the Giants are going to do? Will they go Saquon Barkley? Will they draft a quarterback and the heir apparent to Eli Manning? What is their move going to be? Also, what quarterback would he take? All of that and more 
Up next, I'm Clay Travis. It's the Geico Outkick Studios here with Fox Sports. Pro customers at Lowe's save 5% on every purchase every day when you use your Lowe's business credit account. That's 5% on all purchases in-store or online, subject to credit approval, U.S. only. Let's bring in my guy, Jeff Schwartz. You can follow him on Twitter at Jeff, G-E-O-F-F, Schwartz, S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z. He's set to join us here. I also want to tell you, as we begin our preparation here to talk about the NFL draft with him, that you can hear the NFL Draft, and it's the best NFL Draft coverage anywhere on the radio. Fox Sports Radio, Thursday night, Jay Glazer, Joel Klatt, Chris Spillman, and Kurt Menefee will broadcast live from the AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas, throughout the entire first round. You can listen Thursday night live on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app, beginning at 8 Eastern, 5 Pacific. It's the very best NFL Draft coverage on the radio during the entire first round, and that is where you can hear it right here on Fox Sports Radio. Uh, we've got Jeff Schwartz with us. Uh, Jeff, when you, you wrote a book recently. When you heard that Michael Bennett only sold 3,100 copies of his book that nobody wanted to read, what was your reaction? Well, someone who went through the book process, uh, I was really surprised. I know what it takes to kind of promote a book and, and how much you kind of get it for an advance. And my advance was nothing because the goal of the book was not really like to sell a lot of copies. It was to get a TV show. Um, and a lot of TV networks uh, wanted my brother and I to have a book before that. You know, that's kind of like the first process. You have to have to book have to have a book first. Um, so I kind of know how much they probably gave him to, to for his advance. I kind of could have a good guess on that. And they're not making money. They're not making their money back. I mean, that's kind of the point of an advance. They eventually make their money back. Um, and 3,100 copies is not making your money back. So. Uh, it's a very low number. I, I'm actually really surprised by that. I mean, I think this goes to your point, Clay. I think you're you're right on this, and it's true. It's not like it's not a crazy thought that you know social media is not real life. Yeah. Um, and and that you know if you look at it, I think less than twenty percent of Americans are actually on Twitter, and it means it does lean left, and I'm part of that too. I'm not going to say I'm not, but um, but that you know that what you hear on Twitter and and the um, the group think on Twitter is not the group think of, of life of, of life around America, and so you, know, you might you might get a lot of pub from the people that I follow on Twitter, but that doesn't mean that everyone in mainstream America is buying this book. Yeah, it's it's fascinating because I think it. We, I love Westworld, right? And Westworld season two just began on HBO, and I think there's an easy line that you can uh, analogize between the idea of season one of Westworld is you create this kind of Western universe where the world is not the same. You have, like, this artificial world. Social media is an artificial universe. And so you have an artificial universe where people play by their own rules and they take it seriously, and then you have the real world. And sometimes Twitter and social media and the real world end up in the same places, and they can overlap and have the exact same kind of opinions, and they can carry forward. Other times, Twitter is like, as I would describe it, a funhouse mirror. You stand in front of the old funhouse mirror in the maze of, uh, of things, and like you can be skinny, and it can make you look fat. Or you can be fat, and it can make you look skinny. It isn't a real life. It's an artificial distortion of real life. And so many people are taking it seriously, and yet I see this Michael Bennett book come out, and people are like, oh, Michael Bennett's a hero. Everybody loves Michael Bennett. And then he goes out in the marketplace, and nobody cares about Michael Bennett's opinion on anything. And I think the same thing is going to happen when Colin Kaepernick's book comes out. 
I think people don't care about Colin Kaepernick as much as social media makes you think they do. In fact, I think people actually dislike Colin Kaepernick a lot more. And so anyway, I think you got to be careful if you run a business or you're in the media of letting Twitter dictate to you what the real world is because it's candy, too, for the media because it's easy to go grab, oh, somebody said so-and-so on Twitter and turn it into an article and make you believe that people actually care. Most people in the real world, they aren't paying attention. And I've learned that myself, but I think a lot of people haven't. All right, let's go to the NFL draft. You played for the Giants. If you were betting uh, on the picks, and you may be because you can bet on them on the offshore yeah. sites, <laughs> do you think that who do you think the Browns will take number one overall? Oh man! So I tried to. I tried to last week. One of the offshore books that I used had last week or maybe early two weeks ago. Um, they had Josh Allen as the favorite. They had Sam Darnold at plus money. I should have taken it at that because he was minus two ninety last night. Sam Darnold. I think it's moving in that direction. Um, a reporter yesterday who's pretty in the know accidentally tweeted out, um, it's, it's Darnold. I think he meant to send it as a text or as a DM, and he tweeted it out instead. <laughs> yeah, he that's really funny. Deleted, he eventually deleted it. Um, and, uh, but that's kind of where the smart play is, I think, for them. So I'm not going to bet on that. Um, the Giants, man, like, I just, I, I'm not a running back guy. I, I, I love running. Look, I play with some amazing running back. I play with at least one Hall of Famer, Adrian Peterson. They're fantastic players, right? And they're great for your team. But if you have any sort of quarterback issue, and I think Eli can play for a couple of years still, but like they, their offensive line they lined up yesterday for, for the first day of OTAs, or the, their minicamp, I should say, was not very good. And Saquon Barkley is not going to run very good behind that offensive line. And so I just, to me, it, it does not seem like Gettleman, and I followed him when he was in Carolina, drafting a running back. I know they drafted McCaffrey last year, but that was more of a push from ownership from what I from what I've been told, I just I can't imagine him drafting Barkley at two. Um, I think he's been talking a lot about him so he can get some trade offers for him. Ideally, I think the Giants would take Sam Darnold if if the Browns flub that and draft Josh Allen, and then they'll trade out at two if, if they take Sam Darnold. I can't imagine them taking Barkley at two. Um, it doesn't it doesn't seem to make sense to me of what Gettleman has always been. Um, if they trade it back and end up getting a defensive lineman or an offensive lineman, um, that seems more like something he would do. Yeah, I'm uh, I, I'm curious to see because I think that's the linchpin about what exactly is going to happen in the NFL draft is whether or not the Giants are going to go running back or they're going to go quarterback. Do you think that the Jets are – do you think they have Josh Rosen at the top of their draft board? Uh, do you expect them to take Josh Rosen? And I ask you that, by the way. I ask you that because you're Jewish, and according to Stephen A. Yeah. Smith, uh, Josh uh, Rosen wants to go to New York City because there's a lot more Jewish people there. Um, you know, it's, uh, besides that comment, which I'm honored, it's just ridiculous. Um, Mike Silver yesterday wrote a piece on Josh Rosen, and there was some. Uh, it was a small part in there where he said that players had kind of heckled him on the field, the components for being Jewish, and, and made comments about his nose and all this other stuff. And I found that very, very odd because. Like, out of all things to say, you know, a defensive player would have to, like, research that to, to know that. Like, it just, it's a very, like, it's a very odd thing. It, it has me thinking that, that coaches had to tell their players that because I don't understand, like, in, in, in the amount of homework you do on a player, I just, I've never once been like, okay, what's this guy's religion? Let me talk, let me make fun of his religion. Like I just I think it's so interesting that that was something that was said to him. That almost had to come 
from up above. I, that was fascinating to me. Um, Nobody but, ever ta- taunted you because you were Jewish on the field in no, the NFL. No, like that's such a specific thing that it had to be on the game plan, on the scouting report. Like I just, I can't unless unless Rosen is is exaggerating it, but it may seem like it happens more than once because he had at least two or three comments on that. Um, but I, I'm rooting for the kid, man. I think he's got a bad rap. Um, I, I kind of sneakily want him to fall past five so the Patriots will trade up and get him. Um, I think he'd be fantastic uh, playing in New England. But I, the Jets, to me, if you want to draft a guy who's ready to play now, it's Josh Rosen. You know, the, word, the, the thing about Baker Mayfield that is so fascinating to me is, you know, advanced stats are part of the game. I mean, they, they, they're part of it, and they're, they're not all the answer, but they're part of the game. I mean, they can show and predict things that, that we haven't been able to, to predict and show in the past. For one, Josh Allen would be the outlier of all time if he was yes. drafted at one. I mean, he, he is analytically, he is like the worst quarterback that's ever been considered to go in the top 10. I mean, it's, it's really, really bad. The opposite is Baker Mayfield, man. I mean, he's, he's in the top three of every analytic category and number one on a lot of them. Um, and so it has, it has me thinking like, wow, okay, maybe I need to change my opinion a little bit about what he can do. I was still draft Josh Rosen, but you know, Mayfield's a fascinating case. Um, is it his offense, his air raid, is his abilities, probably a little bit of both. Um, and, I would still take Rosen, but now I'm kind of a little a little bit higher on Mayfield. Yeah, you know, if you're trying to project people, and, and I always think this is important, like look at a guy and say, can he be X? And I think you could make a case for Baker Mayfield as Drew Brees or yeah. as Russell Wilson, right? If you actually look at him and you go back and you look at his college tape and everything else, those guys are probably, certainly uh, Drew Brees is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, and Russell Wilson is well on his way to being a first ballot Hall of Famer. So that ceiling is very high. There's been a lot of talk about Baker Mayfield as Johnny Manziel. Obviously, he had the off-field incident where he got arrested for being drunk and disorderly a little bit in uh, in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Look, we had Jameis Winston narrowly avoid rape charges and get arrested for theft and go number one overall. So I think the standard for a quarterback, if you're talented enough, is pretty lenient in, in the modern era. And so uh, when you look at Baker Mayfield, I'm curious on this. You played football for a lot of years. I wonder a lot about him wearing his emotions on his sleeve because there are not a lot of guys who play football at an insanely high emotional level at quarterback in the same way that you could at corner or at wide receiver or whatever else. Like You kind of want your field general to not allow his emotions to get the better of him. You ever play with a quarterback who was really emotional, and is that a negative or a positive to you about Baker Mayfield? Uh, no, I, I never, I never really did. You know, you mentioned Johnny Manziel, and, and so this is something that it always is, uh, is fun to say. I guess my brother played with him in Cleveland, and Mitch says, and and people that, I, and I've talked to some of his teammates that when Johnny, like good Johnny Manziel, was really good. Like, and I, it shocks me every time he tells me this. Because you you watch him play and it wasn't very good and you know, I had a couple starts. He said that when he was on, he could have been a really really good NFL quarterback. Obviously, there's a lot of other things that go into playing NFL quarterback, but I, it always interesting. It always interests me because it didn't show that way in the field. Obviously, and, and also he didn't even get to play that many times on the field. It's interesting you no. say that because I have heard the same thing about Johnny Manziel that you know like people are people have this opinion that oh he's never going to be successful and and everything else. I think Manziel is not a sign of, like, this is a guy who performed high at a college level and didn't pan out. I think it's a sign of the dangers of your off-field dilemmas and what they can create for you, even if you have potentially the talent to play at a high level. 
Yeah, I think I think so too. Uh, because his 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 actual quarterback skill is is very high. Um, back back to Mayfield. Um, you know, Tom Brady plays with that 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 fire. Um, that's really maybe the only quarterback. Peyton Manning was very intense too. I've been told he basically ran practices. Uh, I'm sure Drew Brees is a little bit intense. I, I don't know. Big Ben seems to be a little bit um, more more laid back to me. We've seen some of these younger quarterbacks. They're not really you know, golf. It's been very intense. I know Mariota and you know and your guys definitely not intense. Um, I think you do have to be kind of even keel. I mean, I put Eli and Eli at times could be a little intense, but most often he was pretty even keel. And I think that kind of is a good thing at quarterback because you, you have so many ups and downs and. You know, your your franchise is relying on you. So I do think that that Mayfield, while if you tell him, and this is kind of the same thing with Odell, and why I don't think you, you should ever tell Odell to to calm it down is that's like who they are. So if you tell John, if you tell Mayfield, hey man, can you kind of like tone it down a little bit? That that will change who he is as a player on a fundamental level, and that's why you have to be concerned with with maybe that being a deterrent to drafting him is, look, maybe he's too fired up. I don't think it is. I like his attitude. Um, but, you know, some of these teams, man, these NFL teams are so old school. Um, I just I don't get it sometimes. We're talking to Jeff Shorts. Follow him on Twitter at Jeff Shorts. He guest hosted with Jason Martin on Friday for here on Outkick the Coverage. Thanks for doing that. We were giving out uh, offensive and defensive kind of sleepers, guys who are under the radar 90% of the attention, at least, in the NFL draft every year goes to uh, the quarterback position. And so we've talked a lot about quarterbacks. Are there guys that have jumped out to you that you've seen either in the combine or during the last season in college football, Jeff, that you think, man, this guy on the offensive or defensive side of the ball, he's a guy I think can be a playmaker in the NFL? Yeah, Quentin Nelson, the guard from Notre Dame, if you haven't watched any film, you just search up on Twitter, dude. He is probably the best offensive line prospect to come out, at least a two-year guy in, in multiple years. I mean, he is nasty. Dude. He, he he pancakes dudes and then, like, sits on their face. Like, he's just dirty. It's it's amazing. It's so fun to watch. Um, and he's going to go. He'll be the first guard drafted. He won't get past eight since his college offensive line coach is now with the Bears. Um, Roquan Smith from Georgia, I think, is amazing. <laughs> I remember I, I kind of got a whiff of him. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not a draft guy during the year. Like, I'm busy doing other things. So, you know, you start kind of paying attention to that stuff in December. I remember reading about him and watching him play against Alabama, man. He's a modern linebacker. He's a little undersized, but he can fly. And, and, and you have to be able to, to do that um, to do that now in, in the NFL. You've got to be able to run. Um, so I'm excited to see where he goes. He might have to end up going to, to San Francisco now because of their linebacker situation. Those are two guys that are in the top ten. Um, and then, you know, I'm kind of interested to see where uh, where Christine Griffin goes. I just think that that – um, you can actually bet on that, by the way. There's a, there's yeah, a problem of course. On that. Um, yeah, and uh, and look, I think he's he's a very fascinating because he did he did test really well at the combine and um, his athleticism. If you watch him play too, I mean, when he played Auburn the bowl game, he, he dominated Auburn. Um, I just where, what are you going to do with him? It's kind of an interesting thing. I think he's got a place in the NFL. Um, it's just, it, we're, 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 you know, if you draft him, you have to have a kind of a specific idea, I think, of what to do with him. Um, and so I think he goes in the third round, end of third round, but I'm interested to see where he goes. Will you watch, last question for you, will you watch every moment of the first round of the NFL draft tomorrow, or will you just kind yeah. of pay, pay attention to it? Like, will you sit down on your couch and watch? Uh, yeah, because I'm doing some post-draft coverage on radio tomorrow, so I'll watch, I'll watch all the first. The first or second day, I'm flying on the third day. By then, I'm too I'm tired. I can't watch the whole thing. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Jeff Shorts, thanks for the time. We'll talk to you next week.
All right, take care. Thank you. That is uh, Jeff Schwartz. Let me bring in my guy, Eddie Garcia, find out what's shaking in the world of sports. Well, Clay, it's uh, time for your Geico playoff report. We are go to the NBA playoffs where the 76ers eliminate the Heat with a 104-91 victory. J.J. Redick, 27 points. Joel Embiid, 19 points and 12 rebounds for Philadelphia as they win the series four games to one. Warriors over the Spurs, 99-91. Kevin Durant, 25 points. Clay Thompson, 24 points. For Golden State, they win that series four games to one. They'll face New Orleans in round number two. Celtics over the Bucks, 92-87. Al Horford, 22 points, 14 rebounds for Boston. They take a 3-2 series lead. The home team's won a every game so far in that series. Baseball, the game of the night in Houston where the Angels beat the Astros 8-7 in a battle of two of the top teams in the American League. Shohei Otani started for LA. He gets a no decision, five and a third pitch, four runs, six hits, seven strikeouts in that no decision. And Clay, also it's time for our Geico Play of the Day. Grant, right side of the logo. Now goes Giddy up down the lane to the rim. Two-hand slam for KD. Right from midcourt to the rim. 95.7 The Game, Warriors Radio Network. Again, some of the action from the Warriors win over the Spurs as the defending champs advance into round number two. That was our Geico play of the day. Good stuff, my man. Uh, by the way, want to welcome in. I'll tell you a little bit more details on this in the final segment. We're adding Chicago, and they've been uh, tweeting it out. If you are a Fox Sports Radio fan, maybe you're listening on iHeartRadio app. Maybe you are listening on the podcast today. I'm going to give you the details on our new Chicago area affiliate, which is a big addition for the Fox Sports Radio Network in general. I'll hit you with that in the final segment of Hour 2. We're also scheduled to be joined by Jason Whitlock in Hour 3. So much still to come. Maybe we'll hit a little bit of uh, Animal Thunderdome here in the final segment of Hour 2. Find out how the eternal war between man and beast is going on. But first, I want to tell you, using TrueCar, you can easily find the car you want. With True Price from TrueCar, you can avoid the confusion and encounter online. Uh, by getting a great price you can count on before you ever visit a dealership. The True Price includes all dealer fees and accessories. TrueCar will show you what other people in your area paid for the car you want. Now you know what a fair price is, so you can feel confident. And your certified dealers know this, so they set their True Price competitively so they can win your business. Over 3 million cars have been sold to True Car users by the True Car Certified Dealer Network. Over 15,000 True Car Certified Dealers nationwide and True Car users save an average of over three grand off MSRP. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. Animal Thunderdome. Up next, also details on that Chicago affiliate. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. We're coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios where it's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. Uh, we're going to talk to Jason Whitlock in hour three at Whitlock. Jason, encourage you to reach out to our guest at Johnny Oddshark, Jeff Schwartz, who we just uh, finished with in hour two also encourage you to download the podcast and this show is growing in a really rapid fashion because you guys have embraced it to such a uh, such a degree um and fox sports radio in general is just exploding from six to six six a.m to six p.m and beyond but for me to to dan patrick to colin cowherd to to doug gottlieb and then into the afternoon and evening and weekend programming and everything else just on a roll and uh, a big addition to the Fox Sports Radio lineup, we are now on in Chicago. Uh, we're on like 300 affiliate stations nationwide in all 50 states, and I appreciate all of you listening wherever you are listening across the country. Uh, but I also like to welcome in, we add new markets, and, and especially when they're big markets like Chicago. Uh, we have added Chicago as part of the Fox Sports Radio family on 102.3 FM 
and 15.30 a.m. Uh, if you are in the Chicago area and you've been listening on FoxSportsRadio.com or you've been streaming on iHeart, a lot of people have asked, where are you guys on in the Chicago area? And look, we're on satellite radio. There's lots of different places you can track us down. Uh, but I want to welcome WCKG Chicago and 102.3 FM and 1530 AM. Uh, they are working on increasing the signal for the FM uh, and that is potentially going to be a, a big addition for us, obviously, in the nation's third largest media market to add Chicago. Uh, that is a, a big addition, and you can go follow my Twitter feed if you want to track down that station. Uh, again, 1530 AM, 102.3 FM in uh, the Chicagoland area. So uh, welcome into the Chicago area listeners who are going to be joining us on that station. And uh, with that, let's roll right into the Animal Thunderdome, boys and girls. Ladies and gentlemen. I'm just glad I was there. Boys and girls. I thought he thought I was like this ginormous piece of chicken. Dying times here. I had a bullet constrictor stuck to my face. And you have a what? This is Animal Thunderdome. What you got for me here in the Geico Outkick Studios? Jason Martin. Let's go to Danny first. He's got an alligator story, and wow, alligator stories are always good. A pass. A deferral to Danny G. Danny G, what you got for me? Clay, this was a 10-foot alligator that is just chilling, walking slowly next to a middle school in Florida. Fox 35 captured this gator walking along Deltona Middle School right next to the fence. It stops at one point, lays down like a dog with its nose in the air. It's almost like it was catching a whiff of the kids that was left from them being there Friday. Fortunately, this happened on Sunday. Uh, People were stopping, taking pictures of it. Um, Obviously, uh, the middle school was made aware that the gator was outside their gates. So school officials, even though school wasn't in, they reported it to local animal control and the Florida Fish and Wildlife Commission. Um, So this doesn't say if they caught it, caught them or not, Clay, but they said that they're just happy it happened on a Sunday and not a Monday with all the kids there. You know, what's amazing about Florida just being overrun with alligators, and they are legitimately everywhere. I don't know that I've told this story on the air before, but it was probably two years ago. It was before I started doing the show, maybe right before I started doing the show. We were driving down to uh, to Florida for uh, the SEC spring meetings and, and for Memorial Day week, and right after we hit the Florida state line, I'm not kidding about this, an alligator, we came around the corner on uh, the drive down to the Destin, Florida area, and I swore to God there was just an alligator in the road. And so I swerved my car, I slammed on the brakes, like literally almost wrecked my car, and there was just an alligator crossing the two-lane highway there. And I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen an alligator crossing sign, but that's how prevalent alligators are now that like that alligator is just out walking along the road. I think we've had alligators on the highways, interstates all over the place, but I almost wrecked my car with my kids and wife and everybody else riding down because we came around the corner and there was literally an alligator crossing the road. Um, and, uh, I've never even seen that before, but, uh, that's what happens when you cross into the state of Florida. Now they're everywhere. Uh, what you got for me, Jason Martin. I've got a weird story. There's not a whole lot of attack stories today. There's certainly nothing to the level of the good story. By the way, did story. you guys see – let me pause Then you hear then. Did you see the picture of – I believe it was a seal that was holding a knife? Yes, yes. Well, I don't think we talked about that, did we? No, we didn't. This, I had that one marked down, but go ahead. This is next level. 
This is next level stuff. They said they had never seen a seal using a weapon before. The seal had a knife in its mouth. And if animals start to get armed, I don't know. I mean, this is like uh, Planet of the Apes indeed. If they start to use weapons to attack us, I don't know what's going to happen next. I mean, this is a next-level kind of move to be able to chase this down. And by the way, you are trying to get the guy. Have you had any contact from the guy from Hawaii who got attacked by the shark, the bear, and the rattlesnake? Not yet, but I've contacted him multiple times, so still working on it. Um, they had a release of a report, and it was something like one in eight quadrillion yes. were the odds that you would be attacked by a alligator, a shark, and a rattlesnake in your life. So we need to get this guy who's a triple survivor of all of those animals. All right, what you got? It's actually one, in, or it's 893 quadrillion to one. 800, the, I don't uh, even know what that is. I mean, but obviously we were asking about what the odds were that that would happen, that you could be attacked. If you didn't hear that story on Monday, this guy out in Hawaii got attacked by a shark, which is bad enough. But in addition to being attacked by a shark, in the same three-and-a-half-year period, he had been attacked by a bear and had to get, like, 30 staples, I think, after the bear attacked him, and he'd also been bitten by a rattlesnake. The kid is 20 years old. We're trying to get him to come on OutKick. He is the true survivor and he has now been attacked by a rattlesnake, a bear, and a uh, and a shark, which is an unbelievable uh, trio. Yeah, one thing that I did find looks like this happened in Australia. Belonged to a Queensland man. He recovered a slipper. He lost a slipper. This poor guy lost his house shoes or lost one of his house shoes, and they found it. And they found it inside what looks to be a twelve foot python that somehow got into his house and ate his slipper hole. So generally what that means is it could have eaten the guy. Like, I don't know if it happened while the guy was at home or not, but that's a real aggressive move. That's a threat, right? Like, if you're eating the slipper, it's like, that close, brother. That close, buddy. Keep your head on a swivel. 12-foot python eats my slipper. Uh, The python can have the house. I'm moving. Did you guys hear about, and, th- and speaking of pythons and the fact that they're now everywhere in Florida, did you see the story about the uh, like python sex orgy that they had, that they found? Yeah, we, talk- we talked about it Friday um, when we did the Thunderdome segment with Jeff. That It was one that had a tracking device, the mother python, and they followed the mother python, and then there were seven other pythons having an orgy. Did Basically, you know that was- pythons could have orgies? This just I- seems I did like... Not. This seems like drawing, I mean, just like dunking on people now. Like, not only are we in the Everglades and living well in the Everglades as pythons, we're also just showing up and having python orgies now. It's like, stop hanging on the rim, python. You're already this invasive species that has shown up and taken over the Everglades. And now you're like, hey, not only are we here and we're invading your species, we're just going to go have orgies everywhere and probably not clean up after and, like, just kind of just drive down the property values because nobody wants to live next to the orgy house. Yeah, thanks, Pythons. Thanks a lot for coming in and putting on your sex shows. Uh, I I am Clay Travis. Hour three up next. We're going to talk with Jason Whitlock. Welcome to Chicago. They don't know what they're in for. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. Appreciate all of you. Waking up early on a Wednesday morning, wherever you may be across the country, and spending it with us. Last night's big news to get you caught up. The Philadelphia 76ers advanced to the second round of the playoffs for the first time 
in what feels like forever and uh, and even to make the playoffs. So the 76ers, the process is well underway. They may be the best team in the Eastern Conference. We'll see what happens now that they have become the first team in the Eastern Conference to advance. The Celtics continued the home game streak with their series against the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, winning Game 5 to go up 3-2. Game 6 will be in Milwaukee, and we'll see whether that continues and force whether the Bucks can force a Game 7. And the Golden State Warriors, uh, if you are waking up on the West Coast, uh, took care uh, last night of the San Antonio Spurs advancing into the second round to play the Pelicans. There were no NHL playoff games last night. There is one tonight. Game 7 in the NHL, the Boston Bruins hosting the Toronto Maple Leafs. Also, lots of NBA action going on tonight. We've got the Wizards against the Raptors in Game 5 up in Toronto. We've got the Pacers against the Cavs and what will be the game that gets the most attention. By the way, that's an early tip at 7 Eastern on TNT. We've got the Timberwolves uh, going on the road against the Rockets to see whether the Rockets, as double-digit home favorites, can close out that series and go ahead and advance into the second round and complete, I think, basically the uh, potential anyway, that the second round could be set in the Western Conference if the Jazz could go on the road and beat Russell Westbrook and the Oklahoma City Thunder in what will also be an intriguing game to watch. All of those relatively early tips at either 7 Eastern or 8.30, uh, 9.30 Eastern, I guess. So you can pay attention to all of those games going on in the NBA tonight. I think it's an interesting question. Uh, obviously, we are also on draft eve If you missed yesterday, I ran through my top five quarterbacks. We've been talking about all the underdogs that we like in this year's draft. Most of you are going to be watching the NFL draft tomorrow over uh, actual NHL or NBA playoff action. My top five quarterbacks in order. Josh Rosen, one. Sam Darnold, uh, two. In the third spot, Baker Mayfield. In the fourth spot, I've got Josh Allen. And in the five spot, I have got Lamar Jackson. That's how I would break down all of these uh, these uh, these games and these teams. All right, so I also think we got an intriguing question as we get ready for game five tonight between the Cavs and the Pacers. Pacers obviously did not close well in the final four minutes of game four at home in Indianapolis. They had a chance to take complete control of that series and be up 3-1, in which case I think we probably would have talked a little bit more about this game today, although there is a lot going on in the world of sports in general this time of year. And the question that I think is lingering over this game five, is LeBron still able to carry a team? Because I think it's fair to say if you've watched the first four games in this series, as I have, as many of you have out there, the Cleveland Cavaliers outside of LeBron James are not very good. The Pacers have the better team here. LeBron James is still the most transcendent talent on the court. And so he has the ability, as he did in game two, to if potentially put the entire team on his back and carry them to victory. But outside of game one, every game in this series has been uncertain as to what might happen coming down the stretch in the fourth quarter. And I think it's time, maybe a little bit early, but obviously there's going to be a lot of uh, coverage of LeBron James's free agency, but he's turning 34 next year. I think we're very close to LeBron James no longer being the best basketball player in the NBA. And that's a big deal because for the last decade plus, LeBron James, even if you hate him, has been the unquestioned best at what he does in the world. As LeBron James turns the page to 34, what's going to become of the NBA? I think it's an intriguing time in the league's history because, first of all, as much as all the NBA boosters out there want to argue that the NBA is unstoppable, the league is on fire, some data for you. 
The WWE, Raw, and SmackDown are basically drawing and sometimes beating the NBA playoffs on cable. In other words, for all the boosterism, and again, we were talking earlier in social media about how social media loves the NBA and everybody's convinced. The NBA, the NBA is a pale shadow of what the NFL audience, the NFL produces. Everybody rips Thursday night football, and they're like, Thursday night football sucks. Why does the NFL play on Thursday night football? Thursday night football on the NFL triples or quadruples the audience for the NBA playoffs. Think about that for a minute. The NBA playoffs are going on right now. Everybody comes out and they rip Thursday night football. They rip Monday night football. Both Thursday night football, regular season NFL, and Monday night football triple or quadruple the ratings that the NBA playoffs get on TNT and ESPN. So for all the criticism that this thing comes in for, the NFL in particular, oh, the NFL's on a decline. It may be declining, but it's declining from the top of the mountain. The NBA has barely even started to climb the mountain. So the question that I have about the NBA is this. We talk a lot about Michael Jordan versus LeBron James. I think it's the dumbest, most boring sports argument this side of should Pete Rose get in the Hall of Fame. But I do think that certain aspects of Michael Jordan compared to LeBron James are interesting and rarely discussed. And in particular, one of them is this. Did you know that the NBA still has not equaled the television ratings that they had in 1996, 1997, and 1998 when Michael Jordan was at the peak of his second three-peat? The NBA has never been able, even though there's like 30 million more people alive in America today than were alive in 1998 when Michael Jordan hit the step-back push-off jumper over Brian Russell. There are 30 million more people alive today than there were in 1998 who live in this country. And the NBA has still not been able to equal the ratings that they got in 1998 for all of the attention. And I think the NBA is potentially set up for a drive right off the side of a cliff. And it's interesting because right now we have got a era that favors what? Jason Martin, you went to go see Avengers last night. What is your review of Avengers? Short version is it's pretty good. Would say it is not great, but it's pretty good. I think it had too many leads in it, just too many stars. They're trying to accomplish too much in one film. So the thing about Marvel and Avengers that Marvel has recognized is something that I think sports fans will recognize, but very few people point out. Why do all of these films do well? Why is my three-year-old sitting around who can't wait for me to take him to go see Avengers? He loved Black Panther. He loves all the Marvel movies. This is my three-year-old. It's because every Marvel movie now brings with it familiarity and newness. What sells in America today with all of the options that exist for us to consume on any given day is familiarity mixed with newness. And that might sound confusing, but when I say this, you're going to have an aha moment. It's called a sequel. What is a sequel? It is familiarity mixed with newness. It's something that I already know that's a little bit different. You can sell to somebody who already likes something, something that is a little bit different. Hollywood basically now is in the business of only making money off of sequels. Go look at what original ideas come out of movies. 
that are brand new, that have never existed before, that produce massive audiences. Almost never happens. Versus all these superhero movies that Marvel has created, the cinematic universe, where everything cross-pollinates with something else. Marvel has hit on a perfect uh, perfect appetite to sell to the general public. It's familiarity meets newness. And you might think that doesn't apply in sports, but it also applies in sports. Every single dynasty is, what is it? It's a sequel. It's a story you already know that offers the prospect of something else new. And if you look at the NBA right now, they have been able to live on every new iteration of LeBron James. Whether you love LeBron James or whether you hate him, you are familiar with the story and you are interested in what new is going to come out of that story. It's just like the Marvel superhero universe. You know LeBron James and you've paid attention to LeBron James before, so you are willing to buy into what's going to happen to LeBron James in the future. You know the Golden State Warriors and you have bought into them before, so you are willing to buy in to what's going to happen to the Golden State Warriors in the future. Dynasties are really just sequels. Hollywood has recognized that familiarity meets newness, which is the entire recipe for a sequel, works because they know people are already invested in the story and they want they know that all of us want to know what's going to happen next. What if LeBron James isn't there? What if the Golden State Warriors aren't there? There's no familiarity but there's newness. Newness by itself typically does not bring in that much of an audience. People might say, oh, I'm interested for a new team to rise. You typically are interested for a new team to rise if they rise against somebody else you know. Oh, I'm ready to go watch Black Panther, but you're ready to go watch Black Panther because you've already had Black Panther introduced to you. It's not completely new. Look at what's going to happen potentially in the NBA this year. LeBron James got game five tonight. If the Cleveland Cavaliers lose the entire Eastern Conference, the nation is not familiar with those teams. You may be familiar if you're a hardcore NBA fan. You are a pinprick of the audience that the NBA is trying to reach. You don't sell a $2.5 billion television product off the 3 million people who really care about the NBA. And that's about how many people legitimately care about the NBA on a night-to-night basis. Three million is probably too high, but three million is about what they draw in the playoffs right now, first and second round. A lot more people buy into the end. Why? Because you got that familiarity and the newness. If you don't have LeBron James in the Eastern Conference, nobody yet knows the 76ers as a nation. Nobody knows the Toronto Raptors. Nobody knows the Indiana Pacers. Nobody knows the Boston Celtics or the Milwaukee Bucks. Not to say those might not be good movies, but just to say, in general, Nobody is aware of those teams. Western Conference, you might be able to get bailed out because if the Warriors are there, everybody knows Steph, Clay, Draymond, Kevin Durant. Everybody knows those teams and they're willing to watch. They've got the sequel factor working in their favor. But there's a possibility looming out there that not a lot of people are talking about. What happens if we get Rockets against a non-LeBron East team? It's a ratings disaster for the NBA. You got newness, but you don't have familiarity. And newness in the years ahead may pay off if you play a really good series this time, but the casual fan isn't going to come in because the casual fan comes in to follow stories 
that they've heard about before. You probably never heard that analogy made on a Sports Talk radio show, but it's a really good one that explains the era that we're in now. There's so much content out there that what the average person wants is familiarity mixed with newness. You find me familiarity mixed with newness in any sport out there or any entertainment option, it's got a lot more success potential. That's why this show is growing, but you guys are still getting used to starting. It really applies in morning radio. You start off your morning with me for five years, you're going to be there for year six. We've been here two years now. A lot of you are going to be there year four, more in year four, more in year five, more in year six. Why is everybody rejecting this new morning show on ESPN? Because frankly, a lot of you got used to listening to Mike and Mike in the morning, and then Mike Greenberg just bailed on the show. And you're like, now I got to start a new morning routine. Appreciate you coming and joining us. But we're new. You're getting familiar with me, but we're still new. Eventually, when we have the familiarity and the newness rolling together, it's going to be an unstoppable monster here in a good way. An unstoppable kind monster is what this show is going to become. And that's why we're on in Chicago. And I want to welcome once more the city of Chicago to our lovely coterie of uh, all sorts of awesome uh, different affiliates that we have. But this is uh, this is a big addition. A big addition for us. And again, I want to welcome in Chicago. More details. You can follow them on Twitter, WCKG Chicago on 102.3 FM and 1530 AM. Big market edition for Fox Sports Radio to go into Chicago for all of you out there that may be listening on podcast or maybe listening on iHeart Streaming who have been asking for a long time, hey, when are you going to be on in Chicago? Well, the answer is very soon. Up next, my guy Jason Whitlock. He's fantastic. You guys love him when he comes on. He's at Whitlock Jason. Speak for Yourself is his show on FS1. Always have a good time with him. And I guarantee you that we're going to have a good time with him when we come back as well. This is Outkick, the coverage from the Geico Outkick Studios on Fox Sports Radio. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price when you're ready to buy a new or used car. Visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. A little bit of news that's out this morning. And this could be big for college basketball. The college basketball panel that's been looking into the crisis exposed by the uh, Department of Justice investigation, the FBI being involved, everybody else. Uh, College basketball, the group looking into ways to clean it up, calls on the NCAA to permanently ban coaches caught cheating to end one and done, which is obviously a choice by the NBA to allow 18-year-olds to go to the pros directly or not outsource enforcement of the rules and certify agents. That is from the AP Top 25 summarizing the uh, opinions being rolled out in the world of college basketball. I'm sure that will be a story as college basketball continues to deal with the crisis surrounding its uh, its game. Uh, certainly sp- uh, unspooling since the investigation from the FBI. Uh, my personal opinion, and I bet Jason Whitlock will share this, I don't know why the FBI ever got involved. I don't know who is being in the world of college basketball. The Look, if you've got talent, you typically are going to get paid. That's how capitalism works. That's how market-based economies work. And I don't really see anybody as being harmed here. Um, but that's me. I think it was a strange investigation to begin with. And college basketball now is trying to clean up their business. Uh, Jason Whitlock at Whitlock. Jason, 
Uh, any early read on that? That's news that's just coming down this morning in the world of college basketball. Anything that doesn't start with, I think uh, you should end amateurism is a yeah. joke. And right. so, you know, that would be my initial reaction, and I agree with you. Uh, the FBI getting involved in terms of criminalizing this behavior is preposterous to me. Uh, it, it just, it's stupid. It's rearranging chairs on the Titanic. I was just talking before you came on about how what sells in the world of sports is familiarity mixed with newness. And the same thing happens in Hollywood now. We want sequels. We want stories we already know we like because there's so many, so much information out there. My kids, I'm going to take them to go see the new Avengers movie this weekend because you know why? They love Spider-Man and they love Iron Man. And if they get the opportunity, and they love the Black Panther now, and if they get the opportunity to go see these characters all together in an Avenger movie, they know they're going to like it already. They're predisposed to like it. They come in. I think that ties in with LeBron James in the NBA. People may love or hate LeBron James, but they know his story. How important is it? You're an Indiana guy, but how important is it for the NBA that LeBron advance and win some more games in uh, in these playoffs? You know, we talked a little bit about this last week, Clay, and I don't think it's that important. Yeah, that, and tell I, me why. Because I, I just think the LeBron James narrative or storyline, we've read that book, and the book has come to a conclusion, and these are just like extra chapters that – Somewhat interesting, but Ben Simmons and, you know, the Golden State Warriors and James Harden and the Houston Rockets, they're writing brand new books that I think people are starting to get into. And I just, I don't think LeBron has ever been as captivating as Michael Jordan. LeBron's been a, a very good story. And we've milked the hell out of it, but I think we've milked the hell out of it, and I think people are ready to move on. No, that's interesting, and and I'm glad you brought up Jordan because I do think if you go back and look at the NBA ratings, I was also saying in the last hour, in the last uh, open of the show, uh, in the final hour, that they have never reached the level that they did in '96, '97, and '98 with Jordan. And to me, Michael Jordan is the most beloved athlete of my lifetime. Um, And I think you look at the way his shoes are still selling. There's lots of people who are dads now that are buying Jordans for their kids. Uh, I don't see LeBron having that same generational impact. But in your mind, then, you think the NBA, as LeBron moves on to 34 years old, I think begins the downside of his career. You think the NBA is not going to hit the same sort of collapse that it did after Jordan left when suddenly the NBA left the top of mind in terms of national conversation? Absolutely not. I I think that Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods – have been the two most fascinating stories of the last 30 years. You know, I think before that, Magic Johnson and Larry Bird were fascinating. I just, I don't think LeBron ever reached that level. I, I think he made enough mistakes and is quirky enough for just something not as pervasively relatable about LeBron as Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, Magic and Larry, uh, <clears throat> and so I don't think the NBA has ever been completely dependent upon LeBron James. And you know, like I said last week, are debate sports talk shows dependent upon LeBron James? <laughs> Absolutely. But the rest of the American public, I just don't know if it's where it's hooked 
on Mike uh, on LeBron as, as we were on Michael or some other athletes. Have they made us not like? It's an interesting question. Have, have the the debate shows debating LeBron James versus Michael Jordan every day for nine hundred, uh, you know, and or nineteen thousand consecutive days or whatever the hell it is now? If you go back and count all the different days that's been going on, have they made us like LeBron less? In other words, if if that debate had not started like it did a decade ago, and I feel like it's not unfair to say that's been going on for literally a decade. Would it have made us like LeBron more? In other words, if Michael Jordan never exists, let's pretend that Michael Jordan's career never happens. How do we view LeBron? That's a great question. Uh, That's a really fascinating question. I, I, I... I don't know. You've called me off guard. <laughs> you called me. I mean, off it's guard. a good question. I don't think there's a. I don't think there's a definite answer. But when I hear about Michael Jordan versus LeBron James, I'm more intrigued by not people who are comparing them on the court because I've heard that ad nauseum. But I think about how it governs our perceptions. And if Michael Jordan had never existed, Michael Jordan is never born. We can go back in time and we just wipe him out of the American sports landscape. So many other interesting things happen. Reggie Miller probably wins the title. Maybe John Stockton and Carl Malone become the greatest duo in the history of the NBA. Like, there are so many other things that become major stories. I remember asking this question about Andy Roddick. I said, Andy, you ever wish you could go back in time and take that racket out of Roger Federer's hand when he was five years old and tell him he should play soccer instead? Because if that happens... Right, Andy Roddick's career and his legacy is entirely different. He wins Wimbledon. He probably wins a couple of other, three or four other majors. People talk about him as one of the greatest tennis players of all time. Instead, he runs into the Roger Federer juggernaut and train, and it's a lot like what people had who played in the Michael Jordan era. But I think that Jordan train is still going, and it's impacted our impressions of LeBron. If Jordan doesn't exist, I think LeBron I, I is infinitely question, more, pos- more popular. Uh, yeah. Because I think there's been a more powerful force that has changed LeBron, the LeBron narrative. And I think it's social media. Yeah. And the media's addiction to social media. And, and so it, it, it's, it's, there's so much shtick surrounding LeBron James that wasn't there with Michael Jordan or Magic or Larry or, or Af- Joe Montana, you know. They're, they're stick surrounding James because of social media. People don't discuss him in the most authentic way. Yeah. And it's like, I've taken this side. I hate LeBron. I've taken this side. LeBron can do no wrong. He walks on water. I don't think that was the case for Michael Jordan. We were able take a guy like me who was a hardcore Pacer fan, who was not a Michael Jordan fan, because of my alliance to the Pacers, I could still enjoy Michael and acknowledge his greatness, talk about his faults, but still acknowledge his greatness. We've kind of eliminated that from LeBron James. Either you hate him yeah. and you know he's the most overrated guy of all time, or he's the greatest of all time, and when he melts against the Dallas Mavericks, oh, that's nothing... Uh, you know, he, he's still the greatest. And I just don't think that kind of stick and inauthentic conversation was ever surrounding Michael Jordan. And I, I think that's what's hurt LeBron more than anything. 
That's a great point, and I don't think it's just LeBron. Everything on social media is either the greatest or the worst thing that's ever happened. There's no middle ground, right? And it doesn't matter what it is. Go look every time a team announces a new jersey or every time an athlete announces a new shoe. Everybody gets in line and says rapturously, it's the greatest shoe that's ever existed or it's the worst shoe that's ever existed. Remember when Steph Curry came out with his new shoes and I saw where Kanye came out with some new flip-flops the other day and people were like, oh, this is the worst flip-flop that's ever been created. It's like everybody has to go immediately to their extremes and I think that certainly has conveyed itself in our politics. I think it's happened in our media. There's no middle ground. Nobody's like listening to us right now. It's like, you know, on social media, at least, reacting us. I think in real life, people are here, but I think on social media, they're not. They're either going to say, this Clay Travis, Jason Whitlock conversation is the great, when I check my mentions, the greatest thing on radio this morning, right? Or it's going to be like, I hate these two, um, uh, the, the, I almost cursed there. I hate these two dudes, you know, get them off the radio. Everything that they say is awful. And there's no middle ground. There's no like, you know, Sometimes I agree with what Clay Travis says. Sometimes I agree with what Jason Whitlock says. Other times I disagree, which is where normal human life exists. That doesn't exist at all on social media. People react to the extremes. And it's, again, it's the media's addiction to social media. And so the media will describe uh, uh, LeBron James in the most extreme terms or uh, show an extreme bias in how they write about him, depending on who the writer is or what the organization is. There's so much inauthenticity in the sports conversation right now that I think we've probably done LeBron James a disservice. It's a good point. It's an interesting point. If you're thinking out there and you're listening to us this morning and you're a kid, at some point, and I remember you probably had to deal with this this poem too, There's a there's a poem about a red wheelbarrow. And I don't remember who wrote it. Somebody, Jason Martin, look up who wrote the Red Wheelbarrow poem. But it basically, it's like so much depends on the real Red Wheelbarrow, like sitting in the sun. And it's like one of the most written about poems ever. And ultimately, the reason people are writing about it is not because of the Red Wheelbarrow. It's because writing about the Red Wheelbarrow reveals something about themselves. And I think that's where we are as a society, where typically the opinions that we have about people aren't really about those people anymore. It's about sending a signal to everyone else of, I'm the kind of guy who likes X, or I'm the kind of girl who likes X, and I'm also the kind of guy or girl who hates Y. And that is not about you having a real opinion on X or Y. It's about you sending this this universal opinion out there of what you like and how that defines you. And I feel like so much of it on social media is uh, is posturing. That, that poem by William Carlos Williams probably did not expect to get a red wheelbarrow reference as you're starting off your morning here. But at it's some one point, of the most start- fascinating points you've ever made, to me at least. Yeah. I've never heard of this poem. You need but to look I think it up. You just- you just described everything that's going on in the American media right now, and you've just, it's a perfect segue. I, I don't know if you want to talk about it or not, but you've just described why Meek Mill getting released yeah, I was from prison ask you about it. is being treated like Nelson Mandela just got released. <laughs> and right. I'm sitting at home just like blown away. Are you kidding me? We're acting like Meek Mill getting is some big deal, but it was a chance for everybody to signal. In the, look how supportive of black people I am, or look how uh, woke I am. Meek Mill's out, and we're going to act like MLK just got released from a Birmingham jail. 
it, it's just mind blowing where we've gone as a society. I got my phone blew up. I was out with my family last night. I took them out to dinner, um, Boy Scout uh, fundraising dinner. Wild, wild night for me. Um, and my phone blew up, and I looked down, and people are attaching screenshots for me, and they're like, "ESPN has got a helicopter following the release of Meek Mill from prison." And now, look, I, I'm not a Meek Mill guy, right? It's not going to surprise a lot of people out there. It's not like I'm, I'm regularly rolling around listening to Meek Mill. I know Meek Mill only in the context of, I think Drake murdered him in a rap a few years yeah. ago, like right? Like, that's my knowledge of Meek uh, Mill. I know he's popular on the East Coast, Philadelphia. Obviously, in the sports universe, Dante DiVincenzo got in trouble because he had tweeted out lyrics from Meek Mill. Kid grew up in, uh, in Delaware, was obviously close to Philadelphia, is a fan. Like, that's the last time I remember him being prominently featured in sports media other than Robert Kraft meeting with him. Like, I'm casually aware of this story. My jaw dropped when I saw that ESPN had gone live to a helicopter following his release from prison because I thought to myself, my God, is ESPN lost its way this much that they are covering the release of a rapper? Now, look, if it had been like OJ getting out of jail, that's a huge sports story, right? Like, I'm not saying that the the connection between sports and prison or Michael Vick or somebody else who's widely known Ray as Caruthi, a sports even. Yeah, like at least somebody who played in sports, yeah. right? Who was involved in the sports universe. Meek Mill, there's a there's a there's a helicopter following him. I like I was in disbelief. My jaw dropped. I, I couldn't even believe it. I know you texted me as well. You saw this and you you were having the same reaction. It's 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 just unbelievable. And the fact that he was ushered from jail straight to the Sixers game <laughs> so he could sit courtside, ring the bell. Oh, I just. I, I, I don't know. It, it's unfathomable to me. It's it's, but it 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 speaks to where our society has gone and the point that you're making. That from ESPN to other people over social media and in the media, they want to make a point by supporting Meek Mill and acting like this is a big deal. It's what this says about me. I'm I'm so woke that I care about Meek Mill's release from jail. And and look, I haven't gone all the way down the Meek Mill rabbit hole. I've only stuck my nose in there. I haven't gone deep, done a deep dive. But he's not some incredible victim of the injustice of our criminal justice system. He's a, This, to me, smells like a rock nation music industry ploy to make this guy an icon so he can sell more records, have bigger concerts. This is a branding deal that they just did for the past four or five months with Meek Mill and turning him into this sympathetic figure. And it was the cool thing for all these wealthy people and other celebrities to go kiss his ring while he was in prison. It's just enhancing his next album and increasing his brand, and we've turned someone who's not really that much of a victim into the ultimate victim, and now they're going to sell us more records. And again, no one remembers now that what he was most known for was a rap battle with Drake that he lost incredibly. Now Meek Mill is this huge brand and huge celebrity, and everybody goes, kisses his ring, 
And for what is has he accomplished something? Was the music he was making so impactful and so revolutionary and spoke so uh, poignantly about the black experience that you know he's he's going to win a Nobel Peace Prize? No, this his music had very little substance. It was fun. It was whatever, but it wasn't that good in comparison to Drake. This, again, we have fallen for a scam here. And it's because people have figured out we are obsessed with virtue signaling. We are obsessed with using people like Meek Mill or other events to say something about ourselves. Social media has us strung out. You want to come back, final segment, uh, and, and talk a little bit more about this? You good to go? I'm good. All right, we'll bring back Jason Whitlock on the backside. Go follow him at Whitlock Jason on Twitter. Let me bring in Eddie Garcia, find out what's shaking the world of sports. Players, your Geico playoff reported in the NBA playoffs. Sixers beat the Heat 104-91. Philadelphia wins that series four games to one. They await the winner of the Celtics-Bucks series, which Boston now leads three games to two thanks to a 92-87 win last night. And the Warriors eliminate the Spurs with a 99-91 victory. Golden State wins it four games to one. They'll face New Orleans in round number two. The support brought to you by True Car online car shopping can be confusing but not anymore with true price from true car now you can know the exact price you'll pay for your next car so visit true car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience and in the nfl new england patriots tight end rob Gronkowski announced on instagram he will play this season back to clay travis in the geico outkick the coverage studios gonna come back with jason whitlock here in a moment good stuff from eddie garcia you probably didn't expect to get a lesson on literature but let me just hit you with some poetry on the way out in honor of meek mill so much depends upon a red wheelbarrow glazed with rainwater beside the white chickens. One of the most famous poems of all time because it's not about the poem. It's about how people react to the poem. That's what social media is. It ain't about the story anymore. It's about how you react to the story and what it says about you. More with Jason Whitlock at Whitlock Jason here on Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. What does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance? It means you probably should have gone to Geico.com 15 minutes ago. Meek Mill was the lead on ESPN, his release from prison. I went to go look at his legal issues. Here they are. All right. In 2008, he was convicted of drug dealing and gun possession and was sentenced to nearly two years in prison. He was released uh, under a five-year parole agreement as part of that. In uh, December of 2012, he was found to have violated his probation, and the judge revoked his travel. In May of 13, he was again found to uh, have violated his probation. He was then found guilty of again of a uh, parole violation in December of 2015. Uh, he was been given multiple chances. Uh, he was given another chance, ordered not to work and perform, um, and got 90 days of house arrest for that violation of probation. He was then arrested again in March of 2017 at a local airport in St. Louis, Missouri for assaulting two pedestrians. Uh, He was given a court summons and he was given two to four years in state prison for violating his parole. Again, in uh, in all of these different uh, uh, incidents, this guy is not exactly a saint. I mean, the, the downside, and I've said this for a long time, you do not want to get probation. Uh, and you do not want to do that because you remain under you know your existing rules. And so if you violate those rules, you have to go back to jail. I mean, the lawyers have been telling this for a long time. I'm still kind of stunned that this guy has somehow become a cause celeb in the world of sports and that he's the lead story on ESPN. 
why? I mean, am I lost? Am I just an old guy? Like, what am I missing, Jason Whitlock? Well, I think you're missing that, you know, some people are arguing that some of his parole violations, ticky-tack, not that serious, shouldn't cause someone to go back to jail. And it's a symptom or a symbol of our criminal justice system and how we over-police people. Uh, but, but you're right. If you get on probation, you remain under government supervision, and you don't ever want to be under government supervision because they can come up with a million different ways to say you violated their supervision. I just don't happen to think he's the best uh, example of this because one, he's such a celebrity, has such privilege as a celebrity, has enough wealth either he has or around him that it shouldn't be this difficult for him to stay clean and get himself off of probation and become just an ordinary citizen. But I just think this is tremendous marketing by him and by Rock Nation in terms of rock, uh, marketing him as this very sympathetic figure. I, I, I think the goal here is like, you know, Tupac Shakur went to prison on a sexual assault allegations. And when he came out, that's when he, I mean, he was already a big deal, but he really ascended after Suge Knight got him out of prison on the sexual assault allegations. And I think that's the goal here with Meek Mill. This is about money making. This isn't about using him as some symbol to push back against the criminal justice system. This is a business move being orchestrated by Meek Mill and the people in the music industry, and we have fallen for it. And he's literally, he's being covered like Nelson Mandela is coming home. He never stood for anything before this. His music wasn't about the uplift or talking about social justice issues or any of that. He was a guy that got flamed by Drake uh, by Drake in a rap battle. So none of this makes sense, or it only makes sense that we have this celebrity culture and this woke social media culture where uh, liberals and and black people who have abandoned black communities and poor black people they meek mill is our proxy or issues like this is our proxy to cover up the fact that we've abandoned the black community and so we look for little symbolic ways to pretend like we support the black community and when i say that <clears throat> i'm talking about myself as well as because again unlike other ethnic groups uh, as soon as we as African Americans get some money, we move and run away from black people and move to the whitest suburb we can find. Other ethnic groups don't do that. And that's why we're into all of these symbols, because we feel so guilty about our abandonment. And and I'm just telling you, smart people are aware of this, and they're using this through social media, all of this virtue signaling and all this pretending to be the blackest, wokest people on social media. 
it's people fascinating. Understand this about us, and they're using it against. We gotta, us. we gotta go. We gotta get Whitlock on more often. Fascinating as always, Whitlock, Jason. I'm Clay Travis. Thanks for hanging. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at First, first Listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Carol G. Juan Gabriel. Christina Aguilera. What do these three have in common? You mean apart from impeccable style, chart-topping canciones, and drama? Facts, yes, all of the above are correct. But most importantly, they're some of the biggest Latin icons in the world. And they're just a few of the game-changing Latin stars we're covering in Becoming an Icon Season 2. Listen to Becoming an Icon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.